We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. You can grab your Bible and you can turn there. Just keep your finger there in that page. Grab a pew Bible if you'd like. Uh, we'll read it in just a moment. Um, but if you're looking in your pew Bible, it's page 988. We'll read from there in just a moment. But as, we, as you're turning there, and as we are continuing in the series that you heard uh, Pastor Tim uh, referring to, which is the Summer of Love, or uh, where we're learning to love like Jesus, is the series that we've been in, uh, we are going to continue to learn how to love like Christ as we follow the one another statements that we see in the New Testament. There is all kinds of one another statements that we read about uh, in the New Testament. For instance, just last week, if you were here with us, you heard Pastor Tim uh, talking about how we need to learn to encourage one another. And I tell you, I walked away from that just so encouraged myself in, in, in my own faith, in my own walk with the Lord, really feeling like our encouragement isn't just about really getting people to feel good about themselves. It's to encourage people and motivate them and move them to live for the Lord, right? And, and, and to live for Christ. And that, that's how our encouragement should be directed. Whenever we encourage one another, it's to spur one another on towards good works, the works that God has called us to uh, in Christ Jesus. And that's really the aim of our encouragement, or ought to be at least the aim of our encouragement. And so we've looked at uh, how to encourage one another. I know just a few weeks ago, Pastor Tony and I talked about bearing one another's burdens, the importance of bearing one another's burdens in the park. Pastor Tim talked about what was the, the ultimate uh, one another, which is to learn how to love one another the way that Christ has loved us, right? And that's really the entire aim of the summer series that we're talking about. It's learning to love like Jesus, which that's a pretty lofty goal. It's a pretty high goal is learning to love like Christ. And all of the one another's that we're going to talk about all summer is going to really line up underneath of uh, that one another, which is to love each other the way Christ has loved us. That's our goal. That's our goal as a church, is that we would learn how to love that way, which would be really powerful. And I'm trusting that as we learn to do that, as God changes our hearts and causes us to do that, we're going to see the fruit of that in our church and believing uh, that's going to be a really beautiful, beautiful thing. But I also want to keep in front of us the fact that each of these one another's is a command. It's a command in Scripture. We're being commanded to do these things. We're being commanded to love one another. We're being commanded to bear each other's burdens. We're being commanded to encourage each other. And as we'll see tonight, we're commanded to do good to one another and to all. So there is this expectation, right, that as believers we fulfill these commands. The community of believers and our community here in Easton, the Lehigh Valley, wherever we are, will suffer if these aren't fulfilled in our lives. We're not going to see the fullness of Christ's love expressed in our world if these commands aren't followed, if they're not fulfilled. So as we look at these statements throughout the summer months, what we should be doing is we should be looking inwardly. We should be introspective as to whether or not we see these things happening in our life or in our walk with God. We should be growing uh, in these areas of our lives and we should be able to observe each of these commands at our church, 
amongst the body of believers here at Cornerstone. We should be able to pick out ways in which we see these commands being fulfilled. Now, somewhat counterintuitively, I guess, uh, is, is this understanding that although these are commands that we should see being produced in our lives, we can't do them on our own, right? We can't actually fulfill these commands in our own strength. We can't actually cause ourselves to love each other more if there's an absence of love in our heart. Right, as you look around the room, you can't make yourself feel something for people that you hardly even know. So the question then becomes is how? How do we do this? How do we actually fulfill these commands that were given throughout the New Testament? Because if our response to these messages to try harder, we're going to fail. We will fail, and not only will we fail, but it actually reveals a lack of understanding of the gospel. It reveals that we don't actually understand what Christ has done for us. So how do we move from being a friendly church, right, to actually becoming a loving church? You've heard us say that time and time again. You've heard Pastor Tim say that, Pastor Tony say that. You've heard me say that as well, that we want to become a loving church, not just a friendly church. And even talking about what that means, we just heard it right before we greeted one another, that it looks like us getting together in each other's homes and getting together for dinner or for lunch or for coffee or actually pursuing one another in relationships, right? That's, that's what that looks like. But how do we do that? How is that possible? And it's really important that as we get into today's passage, into today's passage, that we understand how it is it's accomplished. The way that we become more than a friendly church and we become a loving church is being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Or differently, the more that we look to Jesus, the more that we become like him. And the qualities of Christ become present in our lives. It's like this. It's like a, a kid who doesn't know, right, that as their dad pushes them on the bicycle without training wheels, it's, he lets go, and the kid still thinks dad is holding on, and suddenly the kid looks around and realizes, oh my goodness, I'm doing it, right? We don't really know when this happens, but something happens that as we behold Christ more and more, it's like, oh my goodness, look church, we can see that we actually are loving more and more like Christ. Before we know it, the more that we look to Christ, the more we behold Christ, the more we behold his glory, the more we understand his love for us personally, the more that we will find ourselves loving the same way. Amen? Amen. It's not from trying harder. It's not from trying harder because we will fail if we just try harder. It's looking to Jesus Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So with that out of the way, today we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 through 15 to observe how the Christian community, us, should seek to do good to one another, and not only one another, but even to those outside of the church. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Amen? This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, it's not uncommon for a conversation with Leah and I to be interrupted by one of our kids complaining that their brother or sister did something to them, said something about them, hit them, kick them, whatever. You know how kids are. They're kids, right? But it's not uncommon for Leah and I to be right in the middle of a conversation only for us to be interrupted by one of our kids complaining that one of the other kids did something to them, only to find out that, in fact, they were the ones who initiated it, right? So we ask, well, why? Why did they say that? Or why did they hit you? Or whatever was done. Well, actually, it's because I hit them first, right? It's like, okay. And so that cycle kind of goes on and on, and there's really no end to it. Well, why did they hit you? It's because they said this. It's because they did that. And they continue that cycle, repeating that behavior and really causing the situation to get way more out of control than it needs to. And usually that conversation ends with the age-old adage of two wrongs don't make a right, right? But what we're trying to help our kids understand is that just because one of them does something to annoy the other doesn't mean that they have to retaliate. Doesn't mean that they have to pay them back. If they want to stop that behavior, they can put a stop to the cycle by not hitting their sibling back or not saying something rude or mean to their sibling, and it would stop. But instead it just gets kind of crazier and crazier until mom or dad have to intervene. And truthfully, we aren't all that better as adults at this either, are we? Maybe we don't resort uh, to hitting people, even though there's times where you would like to. Maybe not that. Maybe, right? Maybe we don't resort to that. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, we all do this. We like to level the playing field, don't we? If somebody seems to get one leg up on us or they seem to make a comment that is demeaning or humiliating or causes us to feel vulnerable or upset, we can't help but fire back with a quick remark, hoping to kind of make them feel the same way and make others look at them the same way that they made them look at us, right? This is kind of the nature of who we are as people. We like to retaliate. We don't like when people feel like they're looking down on us or better than us. And so we dig up the past, even if we have to, to remind them of that one time they did that one thing to make ourselves feel better. Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's times where we can all be pretty immature and petty. And so I, I want to borrow from this illustration of my kids, because uh, I think that there's something important as it relates to the passage that we're looking at today. And it's something that Leah and I often try to remind our kids of, and it's the fact that we are family. We don't treat family that way. We are family. This is the exact point, actually, that Paul is trying to make in his letter to the Thessalonian church. He's trying to tell them, listen, we are family. 
which is why he addresses them as brothers and sisters. You can actually see this in the previous chapters of Thessalonians, particularly chapter 2, when Paul actually refers to himself as their spiritual father. He was like a father to them. And Paul sets an example for us in how you and I should relate to other believers. Church, we are family. We're family. And we should treat each other like family. We should look out for one another. We shouldn't look for opportunities to get back at one another or to get a leg up on each other, but we should do good to each other. And the way that we treat each other, as the world observes that, they'll want to be a part of our family as well. They'll want in on the action. We are family and the world is watching how we treat one another. And if we're constantly tearing one another down, why would they want to have anything to do with being a part of our family? The point is, church, you and I are family. So let me ask you, as you look around the room, go ahead, take a moment, look around the room, look at the people around you. As you look around the room, do you think of the people who fill the pews around you as family? Do you love your church? I can tell you, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tony, the elders, myself, man, we love our church. We do. I'm amazed week after week that you show up and you volunteer and you give your time and your energy and your effort and you make the, intentionally, you make time to be here because we have some awesome people in our church. And I can tell you that a lot of us come from broken families in this world, and we don't have a family, and this is our family. And I wanna encourage you to begin to think of each other as such, that you and I are family. And so the first thing we need to understand in these passages as we approach these verses together is that Paul's expectations of what the church should resemble most resembles a healthy family, a healthy family. Not a dysfunctional family, not a broken family, not a codependent family, but a healthy family. And interestingly, as we read this passage, it seems to actually draw from a larger body of teaching that Paul often refers to in his letters to all of the churches, because we can find similar references in Romans and Galatians and 1 Corinthians. You can actually even trace this teaching into some of Peter's writings as well. First Peter, he uses the same language of doing good to one another and being a family. And it even has roots in the gospel and Jesus' teaching as well. And so this is central to the idea of being a believer. It's that we are a part of the family of God. So at first it may appear on the surface that Paul is just giving quick instructions to the Thessalonian church, just like he would to any church, speaking about what it is that they need to focus on. But upon closer inspection, what you'll find is that he wasn't just giving meaningless words or thought to what he was saying, but he's speaking to the exact needs of the Thessalonian church. I think that this summer, this series that we're in, is exactly what we need to be focused on as a church in this season. 
We need to be focused on loving one another the way that Christ has loved us. Because you heard Pastor Tim say last week that the love of many is growing cold. Church, we need to be committed to loving each other more and more the way that Christ has loved us. And so as we see these verses that Paul prescribes to this church, what he's doing is he's laying out a social structure for what healthy Christian community looks like. And the first thing that he does in these verses is he addresses the leaders. Paul first addresses his brothers, the leaders, by asking them to respect those who labor among you. This could really seem self-serving at the moment, couldn't it? (laughs) I don't intend for it to be. Let's just look at the word together and see what it is that Paul is really saying. By respect, Paul is actually saying to recognize as legitimate. That you should recognize as legitimate those who serve among you. We need to consider that when Paul actually planted the Thessalonian church, he did so in a rush. He was unable to likely establish leaders in this newly formed church. We can read about this in the account of Acts. Paul wasn't in Thessalonica for very long before they received persecution and were forced to leave in the dead of night. And so Paul basically plants this church in a rush, is forced out before he can even give them instruction or set up leaders. And in order to check on how they're doing, he sends Timothy back to check and see how their faith is surviving. And to his surprise and to God's glory, what Timothy finds is a thriving church who is faithfully enduring persecution while trying to work out their beliefs, trying to work out what it is that they exactly understand about specifically Christ's return. And this prompts Paul to write a letter to help establish a healthy Christian community. And he instructs them to recognize those who labor or toil. I love that word. Toil among them. He instructs them to recognize those who toil among them as legitimate. People who are there not for their own gain, but for the benefit of the entire community. People who are there not to benefit themselves, but to serve those who are in need. He says to esteem them very highly, and now we really get to the heart of what Paul is saying, in love because of their work. Paul says that you should love your leaders that you should love your leaders. And like I said, this may sound a bit self-serving at first, but I want you to consider then, what kind of relationship should you have with your leaders in your church if you're able to say sincerely and genuinely, man, I love them. Man, I just love Pastor Tim. Man, I love the elders. Man, I love Pastor. If your heart is moved with affection for the people who serve among you, What kind of relationship do you have to have with the leaders of your church for you to genuinely say that you love them? And I like what one commentator said when he alluded to the leaders functioning as the big brothers of the church. If we keep within Paul's family theme here, what we understand is that the church leaders are like big brothers. They're like big brothers who we look up to, who we admire, who we respect, and who we love 
because we know that they love us and they're looking out for us. And so he concludes his first statement by telling us that we need to be at peace among ourselves, which is the entire aim of Christian community. It's peace, peace with God and peace with one another. And then secondly, I love this church. This is where I'm going to get really excited. And so you're going to have to forgive me. But Paul then addresses the responsibility then of all of the members of the family of God, not just the leaders. And he does this by offering three instructions. First, he says to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and finally, help the weak. Again, these are instructions given to believers. So what this suggests is that like a family, we all have a role to play. We all have responsibility when it comes to the family, do we not? You have chores at home, don't you? You have roles that you fill, things that you're responsible to do. The work of the ministry is not left up to the leaders alone. The work of the ministry is spread across the shoulders of the entire community. Church, you're called to the ministry. You are being equipped by your leaders to do the work of the ministry. You're called. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. There is no more effective way to lead a church than when the members take a vested interest in the church that they're a part of. We have become so conditioned by our culture as consumers that we expect to show up to church and for church to be done for us. For the church to provide everything that it is that we're looking for. All of the right children's programs, all of the right Bible studies, all of the right relationships, all of the everything. We, we come to church and think that it should all be done for us and that we shouldn't have to lick, uh, lift a finger. It should have all of the amenities that we're looking for. But that's not how you treat your family, is it? At least I would hope not. As if when they're not performing in the way that you should like, you begin imagining what it would be like to be a part of a different family than the one God has put you in. Church, that's not how you treat family. That's not how you should treat church either. If this is in fact your family, it means you roll up your sleeves and you get involved. It means you participate in order to make it more like the family that you want it to be. And so this is where Paul then says to admonish the idol. Oh man, this is a tough one. To challenge those who aren't pulling their weight in the family. That's what he's saying, that there's those among you who aren't pulling your weight. You know who you are. (laughs) But that's what he's saying, that there are those who are kind of mooching off of the family. At that time in the Thessalonian church, some of the individuals didn't have jobs. They lived off of the generosity of others. And to boot, they complained about it. They complained about church because they had nothing better to do but to become a busybody and complain about things not being the way that they wanted them to be. They became disruptive, unruly busybodies who put a strain on the entire family living in mom's basement, right? Paul encourages the church members to admonish these individuals so that they would no longer mooch off the family but find meaningful ways to contribute. That we all have something to offer. We all have something to pitch in. We all have responsibility to our families. Amen? 
So let's get busy. And then secondly, Paul says to encourage the faint-hearted. The Thessalonian church was experiencing severe persecution. And there were likely those among them who were becoming discouraged as a result of that persecution. Paul actually encourages them and says, it's a good thing that you're experiencing persecution. I'm experiencing persecution as well. You're in good company. And guess who ultimately experienced the worst kind of persecution? Jesus. So why should we expect to experience anything different than what he experienced if we're following in his footsteps? Church, we're in good company. Man, if, if, if the world comes after us, if the enemy comes after us and strikes us and we scatter, what power is there in that? But if we can come together, if we can support one another and encourage each other, encouraging the faint-hearted, keep going, you got this. The Lord's working in your life. He's producing fruit in your heart. He's changing you and transforming you and making you more and more into the image of his son. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going after what God has for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what Paul is saying here, that we need to come alongside of one another, church. Not just every man for himself, but those of you who are mature and strong in your faith. Look out for those who are discouraged and who are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And then Paul finishes with his third statement saying that it's our responsibility, the responsibility of the entire body to care for the weak, that we need to look out for the weak. And he doesn't really say what it is that he's referring to as it pertains to the weak, but it doesn't matter so much what Paul means specifically as what he's saying is that we need to look out for these individuals who can't look out for themselves. We need to care for those who can't care for themselves. And this is how we all make it together. Because there are some of those among us who God has given a greater measure of faith and grace as a gift so that you can help those who don't have the same measure of grace or faith that you have. And we look out for each other so that way all of us together can make it across the finish line. That we together can obtain the prize that God has called us to heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then Paul caps this entire section off with the statement that we need to be patient with them all. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit and is naturally produced in the heart of a Christian who is beholding Jesus. Patience is not something that you can practice. I hear so many Christians saying this, that, oh man, I really gotta practice patience. You can't practice patience. Man, try it for a minute. You can't do it, can you? Do you know why? Patience isn't practiced, it's produced. It's produced in you by the Holy Spirit when we recognize just how patient God has been towards us, we can, all right, Lord, you've been patient with me. I can be patient with my brother. You've been patient with me. I can be patient with my sister. God, you've been patient with me. You're not slow, as some would count slowness, but you are patient toward us, willing that none should perish, right? Man, thank you, God, for your patience toward me. That's what it means to behold Christ. That's what you've done for me. Surely if you've done that for me, you can cause me to do that for others. And so finally, we arrive at the one another that we're looking at today. 
Paul says, see to it. Once again, referring to the entire church's responsibility to ensure that this happens. He says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil. This was the expectation of how people treated one another. And it is the exact kind of behavior that would have had the opportunity to do the most damage to a family, right? That if we're the kind of family who's always attacking one another, that's always repaying evil for evil, we could go back to Galatians where Paul says that you're going to bite and devour one another if you keep acting that way. And so he says, see to it that you're not repaying evil for evil. And whose responsibility is it to make sure that that happens? It's your responsibility, church, that when you hear somebody talking negatively about your family, you don't put up with it, but you stop that behavior. You say, hey, that's my brother. That's my sister. Don't talk about them that way. Church, that's how you preserve your family. That's how you look out for your family. That's how you stop repaying evil for evil, but begin doing good to one another. It's by putting an end to it. Man, the leaders of the church can't run around constantly putting out wildfires. Church, we need to be a family. We need to look out for one another and we need to put an end to it. We need to stop it in its tracks. It's exactly what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to sow seeds of discord and to bring division and to get a foothold in our church. He's gonna do it until Jesus returns. It's nothing new. We know this. So next time you hear somebody talking negatively about your church, remind yourselves they're talking about your family. When the watching world observes us, they ought to see the model of a healthy family, the model of leadership, of mutual ownership, of people finding their purpose, people being encouraged, the, the weak being served. When the world looks at us, they should say, I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of a kind of community that does good to one another, not just one another, but also to the others who aren't like them as well. That's the kind of people we should be, not just people who look out for each other, but who carry out this behavior beyond the doors of our church, into our community, into our workplaces, into our homes, into our friendships, and into our relationships. That way they can look at us and say, I know what family you're a part of. You're a part of the family of God, aren't you? They're your brother, they're your sister. God is your father, isn't he? I wanna be a part of that family. So as we progress through this series together over summer, what you're gonna realize is that there's ways that we're all deficient, not quite measuring up to the standard that Christ has given us. And the temptation for us can be to go out from here and to begin to try harder, only to realize that no matter how hard you try, you can't do this. I can't do it. I just can't bite my tongue. I have to get back at that person. They really took advantage of me. You're gonna find yourselves at times not having the ability or the desire to do good to others the way that we're being called to do it here. And if you try harder, you're gonna become discouraged and you're gonna be tempted to give up believing that it's not possible. But I wanna remind you of what Pastor Tim said last week and I wanna remind you of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all 
with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How many of you desire to grow in the area of doing good to one another? Let's look to Jesus. Amen? Let's look to him. Let's look to Christ. Let's look to his example. Let's together behold the glory of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. God, it is so good. Lord, it knows exactly how we are as people, and it cuts right to the heart of the matter. God, we are all tempted at times to repay evil for evil, to get back at one another. Lord, we can't help it when we feel like somebody has taken advantage of us. But your son, Jesus, Lord, he was misrepresented. And he sat there quiet as people lied about him, Father. And he took on our sin and our shame on the cross. He did good to all of us, Lord. And Lord, because of his example, God, I pray that you would cause us to behold him more and more, God. To understand what your son did for us, God. Make it possible, Lord, for our hearts to grow, Lord, in capacity to understand what Christ has done for us so that we together, Lord, can be good to one another, not just each other, but Lord, to the world as well. Help us to be a loving family, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.